Hello, everybody. From the studio on the second floor of the Chattanooga Downtown Library, we again have a session, this time from a musician who, when she was young, was trying to decide whether she wanted to be a missionary in Africa, a rock star, or perform on Broadway. As it worked out, she became a rock star. <laughs> then she quit. She joined the seminary. She's now an ordained minister. But music remains her muse, as you'll hear. This is Sherry Cothran Woolsey. Hey, Richard. Good to be with you today. I'm going to start with um, a song about uh, a woman. Uh, her name is Hulda, and uh, she's sort of a, a hidden woman uh, in some of our uh, ancient uh, Hebrew Bible writings. And um, I love her story. Um, she reminds me of my grandmother. Um, she's kind of got that um, really hardcore way of seeing through um, all of the uh, fake uh, stuff in the world and telling it like it is. And uh, this is her story. This is called Seen Through.
So I like to write stories about women in the Bible since I am a reverend these days and it's kind of a profession. Um, and I like to uh, look at some of the stories that are hidden because a lot of women's stories uh, have been what we call lost in translation. Um, it's probably no surprise to figure out that uh, some of the church fathers who interpreted uh, Hebrew and Greek and a little Aramaic from the third and fourth centuries were men of their time, and they used a lot of masculine language that sort of covered up uh, some of the feminine participles on some of the ancient words. And so now we're kind of discovering that there were these groups of women uh, who really did lead their communities as warriors and as prophets. And it's a really exciting time to uncover their stories and to find out that these women existed. And one of the groups of women I've been really fascinated with are the women warriors. And uh, there is a um, scholar, Will de Gaffney, who's really uncovered a lot of these women. And they appear throughout uh, the Bible. And they start sort of in Exodus when um, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And this is just really a fascinating story. And I kind of envisioned them. Um, they, they're prophets and they're also guardians of this traveling sanctuary. And they have these mirrors that they look into to prophesy. So it's, it's sort of, um, it's very uh, otherworldly. Um, but I love these characters, and so um, this is a song I wrote about them uh, doing their, their work. Uh, this is called um, The Song the Women Warriors Sing. The wind howls from the distance of the longest night cry from the darkness of the wild inside she stands guard at the doorway of light she carries a mirror fastened to
This next woman is um, a woman who's known as the strange woman. And uh, she's, she's an anti-heroine of uh, Proverbs 1 through 8. And um, she's uh, the one that, you know, all the good young men need to stay away from because she has this uh, corruptive influence. And um, so I wrote a song about her. It's called The Strange Woman. And this is her story. God has made.
So uh, one of the uh, books of the Bible believed to have been the only book written in a men's, a woman's voice is uh, the book of Song of Songs. And uh, it tells the story of a, a woman who is chasing her lover through the streets. So this is um, basically her story. This is called 10,000 Charms. Just joining us, our guest is Sherry Cothran Woolsey. Sherry is an ordained minister in the Methodist Church. She's also, as you may have gathered from uh, the four songs that she's sung so far, a biblical scholar. <laughs> and those, um, I'm getting the impression that, that, like most of us, you know, you, you went to uh, Sunday school and so you were introduced to the standard uh, biblical stories. 
So these must have come of something of a revelation when you discovered these people <laughs> who really aren't talked about very much. And in, in fact, the whole Old Testament, I think, is, 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 is a mystery to many people. Yeah. Well, it's an ancient language. And so with each generation, it gets reinterpreted, uh, you know, with, with so much new information. And so some of the interpretations from the third and fourth centuries that most of Western Christianity has been built around need to be reinterpreted. And so that's what's happening now, uh, particularly as female scholars dig into the ancient languages with a completely fresh perspective because, you know, um, biblical scholarship, education, the doctorate uh, pathway, you know, wasn't really that available for women until, you know, a few decades ago. And they were discouraged in the field. And so over the past, I would say, four or five decades, women have been doing some revo you know, revo revolutionary work. I was going to say revelationary, which is kind of the same thing, uh, around text and particularly women's stories. Uh, because as we know, the Bible was written uh, from a patriarchal culture, but patriarchy and God are not the same thing. So we're having to dig out, you know, the difference between this sort of man-made man perspectives and what's really there. And so really women are doing this work and it's really fascinating. And when I began to discover it, these books are still relegated to the basement of the Divinity Library, the dark windowless basement. And so I remember being down there and these books kind of jumping off the shelf at me and having these little mini awakenings as I was reading all of the scholarly work uh, around women's stories. And so I think it hit my songwriter buttons pretty hard because I began to, it just began to really fascinate me and touch my imagination. And songwriters are always looking for stories to, you know, look at a, look at from a different perspective and from a poetic perspective. And so it was just fodder for me. And, and I'm still writing songs about new discoveries and new women. And so, yeah, it's, it's really fun because you can, you can kind of, paint these women in a song uh, in sort of the ancient imagination and it still sir it stirs something ancient within people I think well I think part of what makes it interesting is is the obvious parallels with your own life right <laughs> what uh, kind of reaction did, did you get from from your family when when you told them you're gonna be a, a rock and roller and, and go off and they tour? didn't like it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come from a family where, where religion was was? Uh, yeah, we, I was raised Southern Baptist, so in a small town in a rural church. So you can imagine, it was different then than it is now. I mean, the music path is a path a lot of people are taking, and it's 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 more respected now. Mm. But then it was, you know, and we were, it, you know, it was a dangerous life. I'm not going to say it wasn't. You know, there. I played lots of clubs where I'd have bouncers on both sides of me, you know, because it was we played in some rowdy places. So in some ways they had a right to be concerned about me. And I'm not sure that I would have gone in those places had I not been in my 20s. So, you know, you don't think about that when you're in your 20s. You're just invincible. 
So yeah, it was an adventure, but it definitely was a a, a dark adventure uh, at times. And then being sort of in the midst of lawyers and managers in New York who were really entangled with uh, the rap industry. And I remember that was when uh, Old Dirty Bastard was having his Grammy moment. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, they weren't quite sure what to make of him at that point. And I walked into my manager's office on Riverside Drive in New York, and he was ordering up a live tiger for Wyclef for Wyclef for that concert for that night. And I was like, what have I walked into? <laughs> and so it was, you know, it was really sort of like falling down the rabbit hole and, you know, trying to climb out. So, uh, yeah, there's no so, good so time was, to was leave. Was this an act of rebellion on your part when you, when, when you first... No, I mean, it wasn't really rebellion. It was a thing where I was working in the music industry for a music publisher and I was already mingling with a lot of people who were artists, a lot of a lot of country music artists at that time, although we did have a, a hit song cut by heart, which was pretty cool. Mm. So I was pitching songs through her, uh, uh, actually, and that's how I kind of got really comfortable with the business, I guess. And I was doing a lot of business for her, like tracking down royalties and doing copyright and stuff. So I knew a lot about the business and I figured, you know, I could handle it and I figured I could make money doing it. And my husband at the time was was a great songwriter and great guitar player and producer. And we just had had bands since we were dating and this was the next iteration for us. We'd had a couple of previous bands and we were just always looking for a sound. And so the Evan Roods was the sound and uh, I just really, it was, it was a matter of perfecting what we were doing. And I love singing. I've always loved performing. And his songs uh, in the beginning were story songs, and they were just like nothing I'd ever heard before. And I thought they were just painted these beautiful landscapes. And by the time we got to having a hit song, it was the music had become a lot more, you know, hit-oriented and then... I had to do things that I was uncomfortable with to make that work. And, but it was fun. You know, it was, it was fun playing a role. I was playing a role. So, so I enjoyed you it. Know, to, to make a long story short, <laughs> it, 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 it's, a, it's an unfortunate story that uh, many have detailed. Um, the song Mercury Poisoning comes to mind. <laughs> you were signed to that label, and many people had a bad experience with them, and you did too. You walked away from rock and roll but um i can't think of anybody else who's who's walked away from well with the possible exception of little richard who's walked away from rock and roll and gone directly into the church right did you was that how it worked for you that, that uh yeah it's i think hard to imagine you t- t- coming off tour and saying you know the heck with this i'm going to the seminar <laughs> Well, I had always felt since a young age that I had some kind of spiritual calling and I didn't know exactly what it was. And I really went to seminary just to try and figure that out. I didn't know I was going to end up in the church. And it's a freestanding seminary, Vanderbilt Divinity. And so it's a great place to explore. They have all of these different religious perspectives, primarily Christian and when I got there, I my homiletics professor, he's the guy that teaches you how to give a sermon, 
was also a musician and had been an engineer for 30 years. And, of course, he talked to me back into... The music thing was very painful, leaving all of that. And so he talked to me back into writing songs again and combining the song and sermon, and I really enjoyed doing that. And that's when I ran across these stories. And everyone that was advising me at the time wanted me to go into the pastorate. And I wanted to go into community development because I wanted to, I just wanted to help people. And so I ended up at this church that was kind of an urban church and worked with a lot of immigrants and refugees and homeless. And I just, I just fell in love with it. And it was very hard and it provided a lot of healing space for me. But I kept writing songs and I kept performing and I kept kind of combining all of that. And it's just a pathway that I've just kept on doing both. And I've been really fortunate in that I've I've been in churches that have an emphasis on um, social justice, which is really big for me, and sort of standing up for the marginalized people of the world. Because I always tell people I'm not very religious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... Um, I think that we can do so much better in the church um, than pushing religion on people, that it's really about loving people and um, helping people to discern a spiritual path. So that's what I try and do. Uh, I am, you know, all the official channels I have (laughs) and I've gone through, and I respect them very much. So uh, I just... um, yeah, I just continue to to kind of weave these things together as best I can. I seem to be doing a lot more music these days, which I'm really enjoying. So, well, you know, more than one person has said if you, if you if you want to make a point, write a song. Right. Uh, you can reach a lot of people that way. Do you, do you use music in your in your services yeah. a lot? Uh, yeah, I do. I do, and you know, mostly I what I do is I go out and do these kind of story song uh, presentations. That's that I really enjoy doing. Um, the sermons are kind of sometimes I'll work music in, but you know you don't have a lot of time. It's usually ten or fifteen minutes, so it's it's a lot a lot more talking and illustrations and things. But yeah, I I um, I try to work it in occasionally. Sometimes I'll just burst out in song without my guitar. <laughs> and I, I think uh, probably uh, a good story makes a good sermon. Huh? Yes, yes. The, the story aspect of it is wonderful. Because each one has sharpened, you know, each field has, mm. has sharpened the other. Yeah, I, I see that. That, that. That's what I love about your, your whole story. That, that the, uh, We are, I think uh, many of us are taught when we're young that life is sort of linear. If you, if you go this way, well, that's it. You're going that way. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, after you've been around for a while, you realize that that's not necessarily the case at all. You may go in one direction, decide you're going to go in another but then at some point, as you did, realize that those two directions actually are the same. Right. And you just have to pull them together, much as you're uh, rediscovering the stories of, of the women in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just about the best pathway to find your true nature. Mm. Yeah. You know, your, your, truest, your truest self. And I find that in the spiritual path. And, and the church for me has really been about that. And I think... Religion at its best, as uh, Carl Jung said, is really about us um, taking these stories that have shaped us and formed us and living out the truthfulness of these stories in the world. And 
obviously there's a lot of stories we don't even know. <laughs> so I always say uh, Michael Mead is a great storyteller I love, and he said stories hold the world together, and we learn who we are from our stories. And so when women read Bible stories, you learn that the world is a really dangerous place for a woman, <laughs> and she's not quite as good as a man. And so a lot of times you learn that from the Bible stories that we have. Well, I want to show that that's not all that's there. And there are some stories that are really powerful uh, for women and that women can claim. There aren't as many as I'd like to to be there, but there are some. And so we have to cherish and treasure those and, and use those. So Yeah, my, my wife is fond of saying that we are the stories we tell ourselves. Yes, that's a good one. So the first uh, four stories that you told uh, uh, in uh, the session today were mm-hmm. about transgressive women. These next four songs are on a different topic. Yes. So I was really fortunate to receive a grant uh, from the Louisville Institute to look at wisdom traditions from all over the world. And this is another thing that I was fascinated with because wisdom shows up in the poetry of Rumi, Uh, the Sufi poets, uh, Hafez, Rumi. It also shows up in the Bible and Job and uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Psalms, Proverbs. It shows up in many places. It also shows up uh, in the Christian tradition and in Native American traditions. And I even found it in an old Egyptian tradition from some 3,000 years ago. And all of these traditions seem to be saying the same things. And so I found something that really united um, these traditions, and I wrote a series of songs uh, called um, Hundreds of Ways to Kneel and Kiss the Ground. And that's a quote from a, a, Ru- a Rumi poem. And I put that out a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, I'm going to play you a few songs uh, from that project. Thanks so much, Sherry. Uh, from the library... Our guest is Sherry Cawthron Woolsey. So I just got this guitar a few years ago, and it's already banged up a little. But I, as soon as I got this guitar, it was the strangest thing. There was a song in it. <laughs> and I sat down, and this song came out just, just like that, which was crazy. And I had just gone to visit the grave of Meriwether Lewis, and he's uh, from the famous Lewis and Clark expedition, and he died on my birthday, which is October 11th, and he died from uh, what most people believe was uh, suicide, and I love the Lewis and Clark journeys. I'm, I'm sort of, I tell people, if I had a superhero that would express my superpower, it would be Sacagawea, because I just love her. And I read that when she gave birth to her son, um, Meriwether Lewis was right there with her the whole way, and that he and she were very, very good friends. And so I just imagined uh, that time, and that time in his life, he struggled with severe depression, but he had come back from this expedition that really could not be topped and became a political official of all things. And so as he was walking up uh, the Natchez Trace with his uh, bag full of notes, 
he uh, stopped at, at this place where his uh, memorial is, and there's just a giant broken column that Jefferson had put there because a broken column at that time signified uh, a broken or interrupted life. And think about all of the political monuments uh, and religious monuments that we have in our country that have columns. And um, that's sort of a symbolic of our, our culture. So I, I combined the Native story with the American uh, story that was happening at that time. It's such a fascinating time and a, a sad time, too, for Native Americans. So this is called, um, I think it's called The Notebook of Meriwether Lewis or something like that. <laughs> i 
It's not the foot fall of angels. It's not the fury and the sound. It's the quiet of your brother's blood. So another piece of um, wisdom that is from my own tradition, I served as a pastor of a church uh, in an urban area in Nashville, and I every day would have interactions with the homeless of the city, and when it first started happening, I was somewhat uh, tentative, and it was a new experience for me, but as time unfolded, I began to see that I was having these um, kind of sacred experiences. Uh, I was trying to help them, but they ended up actually um, sort of saving me and healing me. And um, every once in a while, I would have this uh, mysterious experience where I would feel as if uh, one of them was an angel in disguise, uh, sort of God in human skin, and they would say things to me like, uh, we're never going to let anything happen to you. You know, we're watching over you. We're taking care of you. And I had this experience so many times. And so I wrote a song about it. And this is called uh, Tending Angels. Uh, and there's actually a, a video that I did that's actually been making the rounds at film festivals. And it's, it's showing uh, at a... In Italy, actually, this spring, and uh, one in Oklahoma too, and basically, they a lot of them volunteered to be in this video to tell their story, <clears throat> and the the video really uh, seeks to put a sacred face on homelessness, and so I'm really proud of it. You can check it out on YouTube, but uh, here's the, the story. It's just called Tending Angels. <laughs>
wisdom tradition that I have fallen in, fallen in love with. And I think really, um, it really repeats, uh, what I, what we call the music of the spheres because it's just so beautiful and it's, it's about love and divine love. And I'm talking about the poet Rumi and his contemporary, uh, Hafez, also a Sufi poet. And this poetry comes out of the mystic tradition of Islam. And, uh, I think, Rumi was around 13th century, I could be wrong, 12th, 13th century uh, poet. Um, and uh, this is one of his poems that I really love. You may have heard the saying, um, out beyond wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field, I will meet you there. And so that's sort of the inspiration behind uh, this song where I combined a couple of Rumi's poems and it's called The Field. to the thorn that I am a 
Okay, that's for me. I'm going to play you a little of um, his counterpart, um, Hafez. And this is also something that uh, is kind of a life lesson for me. This song is called uh, Surrender. And uh, I've often found uh, in my own journey that um, as humans, uh, it's so easy for us to just kind of jump to our our reptile brain whenever we, we're faced with something hard or difficult or conflict and we want to either stand and fight or flee. It's that fight or flee thing that um, we just have in us. But uh, I've found that the third option is often much better uh, and that is um, especially when we're faced with uh, something uh, spiritual that um, our creator God is trying to do in us, and that is to surrender. And uh, Hafez and Rumi really do uh, talk about this a lot. And uh, there's a little bit of um, Hafez in this, and this is called Surrender. Fly away. 